welcome everyone to Coffee in an Interview. We're here today with Pamela Martinez, who through our conversations has taught me a lot about dyslexia over the years and how it impacts students, not just in K through 12, but also in college and graduate school. So I've learned a lot from you, Pamela, and I thought it would be great if we can share some of these lessons with our listeners. And so I'm just going to jump right into it. Sounds good. All right. Why don't I ask first, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm good up until now and I'm a bit nervous, but we can work through it. <laughs> <laughs> we have our mugs and we're ready to go. So yes. I think we're going to be fine together. I'm going to jump right into it and ask, when did you know that you had dyslexia? Um, I mean, I, I knew that there was always something different with my learning to put a name on it for like dyslexia. I don't think I put a name to that until I got to high school. But that's not saying that in elementary school and middle school, I just thought I was fine and dandy and didn't have anything wrong with me. I just simply didn't have a name to place for it. And I feel as every adult in my life kind of knew what it was, but it wasn't explained to me. And maybe it was, and I'm just forgetting it, but my first memory of knowing I had dyslexia or like labeling it dyslexia was in high school. Interesting. And then you said you always knew something was different. So what did you know was different? What what did you see or feel or know? I just wasn't picking up on stuff at the same rate as my, my peers mm-hmm. in school. Okay. And then tell me about your K-8 experience. So you, so you didn't have this label dyslexia. You weren't quite sure. You just knew you were different. Yeah. And then you had some interesting K-8 experiences that really shaped you in many ways. Tell us a little bit about um, your experiences in K through eight first when it comes to dyslexia and learning and your success. So at first I thought it was because of a language barrier because I did move to Miami when I was six years old from the Dominican Republic and I knew no English. So going into first grade, no English, I thought that was probably the issue. But from what I remember, I picked up on the language pretty fast. By third grade, I was very fluent in English. And that's the the year that I failed. That's the year that I got held back because third grade is the year where you start your standardized testing. And first year of the FCAT, I failed it and I got held back in third grade. Um, But I guess I didn't really know or pay attention to it until I failed third grade because from first to my first year, from first grade to the first year of third grade, I really thought it was just a language thing. Like... Mm. I have to deal with learning all these new things in English when I thought I knew them already in Spanish. And then come third grade, I failed it and I started to realize that it's not just the language. There's something different with the way that I'm learning and the way that all the kids around me are learning. And that's kind of I remember and I kind of forgot the rest of your question. Oh, we're gonna get to that now. I just wanted to highlight something yeah. you said because you thought it was a language issue at first that you were learning English and so you were just, you know, struggling with the language. And it wasn't until third grade with Saturday testing that you realized something was off or different beyond just language. And um, I thought that was interesting because a lot of our students, I've taught in different states. Um, do speak English as a second or other language. And so how many times do we sometimes think something is a language acquisition um, issue or challenge or barrier when it's actually something else and vice versa too. 
So I definitely already taught me something new there that we had to talk about before. <laughs> um, in terms of K through eight, you had a very different schooling experience too that shaped you in many ways and some decisions you made later on about high school and your IEP. Yes. Tell me a little bit about your K through eight experiences as a student. How did you feel? Were there any uh, challenges with your peers or with your teachers as you were navigating this world, especially after you had to repeat third grade? There were a lot of challenges and felt very different. Um, I guess the main thing that stood out was just the way that it was set up. So when we're being pulled out of classes or when you have that, and I don't know the proper name for it, but I'm just going to call it like a teaching assistant mm. or that one woman who was always next to me in class. Like a push-in model? Yeah. She was always there? Okay. Like, And she would be the one to give me my assignments and all that. So in like that classroom setting, I have the rest of the class following along with the teacher. And then there's me with my own separate little teacher going through our own lesson plan in the same classroom. So it's kind of like that was already setting me up um, apart from the rest of the students in oh the class. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> And then there was also when you would be called out to like go to your groups. And I don't remember what grade this started in, but the way that it was, you had your main classroom and then they would pull out like the smart kids and the kids with learning disabilities like myself. And they would call them the Synergy and the Journey program. And the Synergy was for the smarter kids. Journey were for the kids like me who needed a little bit more push. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those programs. But maybe in the way that you're pulling kids out, that might be an issue because like they're announcing it like, okay, all journey classes like or students report to your class or something. So right there, you're standing up and you're like, yeah, that's me. Now I have to go and the entire class is watching me. And like, it doesn't seem like a bad thing to adults, but kids are bullies. And like, kid, oh, kids are bullies. Kids, kids are mean. Oh my goodness. And, um... So like that was just the big thing. And again, it's not like my teachers did it with like malicious intentions. Like they didn't single me out purposely because they didn't like me or any of that stuff. They probably just didn't know better. But there was, okay, so sorry, let me start over. That was like three different settings, either in the classroom, being pulled out of the classroom, or the one occasional time where I was in the classroom and I had no teaching assistant and I didn't, and I wasn't I'm being pulled out of class. My learning was still different like my curriculum my material was still different than the rest of the class I just didn't have that assistance so let's say the class is getting out a worksheet for the day the teacher will call up somebody to pass out the worksheets and announce to the class pass it out to everybody excluding Pam which again to an adult doesn't probably sound like a bad thing but you have a whole bunch of third graders who just heard you exclude me you just singled me out they all just witnessed it so now they all think it's going to be okay to do so and because I was already singled out as like the slower kid and all that stuff it was a lot easier for them to like be mean to me and be bullies I remember there was this one time where there was um it was a time where I was excluded from what was being passed out it was a quiz a vocabulary quiz um the entire class was taking it except for me there was this one kid he sat next to me and he asked me how to spell the word too. And okay, I was like, it's either T-W-O or T-O-W. I don't know which one it is, but he's asking me. I'm on the spot. I'm going to take a gamble. And I gave him toe. <laughs> so he got the results back and he just flat out looked at me. And he was just like, well, you're an idiot. You got this wrong. I'll... Oh, no. But Exactly. 
and then like I didn't register like the first like that instantly hurt me. But then, like I mean, now I'm thinking back on it. I'm like, you got it wrong too, dude. Like you asked me for help. Like I'm sorry, I got it wrong. But you know that I at least tried a little bit harder than you did. Okay. Like you came to me. I'm sorry, I got it wrong. But don't call me stupid for both of us making the same mistake. Because if you were gonna get it right, and if you do claim to be more intelligent than me, then you would have never come to me for help. But whatever grade I was in, Pam wasn't thinking that way and that was just more things that just kept putting me aside like shoving me to a complete different corner of the classroom than the rest of my peers very interesting you shared um three models um all three models singled you out in some way all three models by singling you out made you a target perhaps of bullying with your peers and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment uh, but just to recap, your your three models were your push-in, where your, the assistant teacher was there with you in the classroom, and you had sort of a separate uh, lesson together mm -hmm. than the rest of the class. Your pull-out model, where um, you had the announcement on the speaker, Synergy Kids, go to this room. Journey Kids, go to this yeah. room. And everyone's watching who you know who's the Journey Kid, who's the Synergy Kid in the classroom. And then this third model where you don't get pulled out, you don't have push in at all because you don't have an assistant. And instead you're in the class with everyone else and the instructor's trying to maneuver that situation and singles you out um, accidentally as well saying, all right, pass out these worksheets to everyone except for Pam. Okay. And so everyone already knows you're different. So that's very interesting. And, um, I kind of just at it. wanted to point out that it's like a different type of bullying. Like, I don't want to say like, it's a bullying that you see in high school. Like, they're knocking over your books. They're shoving you. I had a pretty, well, I had a decent group of friends. I wouldn't call them a great group of friends because, I mean, they weren't. But I did have a decent group of friends who I thought I could trust, who were, I thought were understanding to my situation. But also within those group of friends were kids that were being pulled out to synergy. So, like, even in my friend group, I'm even left behind so like i want to say like the bullying that i experienced was a little bit more subtle and a lot less physical mm -hmm. it was more emotional and like just little jabs that people would throw at me that they probably don't realize the power of their words because again they're kids um but it's just like being called stupid for telling the kid to spell two as toe mm -hmm. and like little things like that so i just i wanted to clarify that like i wasn't like this beat up bullied kid it was more of like verbal subtle you're not good enough kind of thing did you get that through all of k through eight or um or was it all through your schooling experience do you have an example of of the kind of bullying that you did experience maybe with your friends or in a classroom i would say it was more through um k through eight and I mean, for, for my friends, I think a good example is I was over at one of my friend's house with two other of our friends. We were all best friends at the time. And we were just laying, I remember this day like the back of my hand because that day kind of just set in motion so much that happened afterwards and they probably think nothing of it now. But for me, it was pretty impactful. We were all just like, I don't know if we were sleeping over or whatever, but we were sitting around the bed. I, we were all on our phones and... I was typing to somebody who were playing a game that required me to spell out the word star. And I had that, like, I mean, I, I had the word, 
written out. It was spelled what I thought was correctly and what ended up being the correct spelling for the word star. But I have been just second guessing every move I make because I've been told it's wrong my entire life. So I was like, you know what, let me just double check. Let me ask my trusted group of friends if this is the correct way to spell star. Or I think I just ask, oh, how do you spell star? And I just wanted to hear them say it just so, okay, confirmation. Should have never asked to spell star. <laughs> Should have never asked them to spell star. Because they kind of never lived it down. I was called illiterate after um, pretty much they made me feel very dumb around them and less than. So not just in that moment, but not just throughout um, throughout the entire friendship. But I feel like that moment was the one that really pinned, like pointed it out to me. Where I finally, like, I realized it, like, oh. Because their reaction at first was just, like, they laughed. And I was just like, how do you not know how to spell that? And, like, their reaction is what kind of, like, had me taken aback. And I was like, oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> I thought you were my friend. I thought you knew. There was, like, a, like, I'm not stupid, but I'm just, um, but, yeah. So that was, I think, the moment where I kind of just realized I had a pretty toxic group of friends that weren't pretty great to me. And that was in sixth or fifth grade. So, and I remained friends with them until eighth grade. And then what happened? You um, left K through eight. I left K through eight. You transitioned to high school. Went to high school. You left behind this group of friends. Maybe. More they left me behind. Okay. But... Win some, you lose some, and it was better for me that Lay left me behind. <laughs> okay. So they, they left you behind. You transitioned to high school. How was your experience in high school similar or different than your experience in K through 8? Uh, my experience in high school was actually a lot better and a lot different than my experience in K through 8. And that is because, and I don't know how my mom did it. All I know is that I begged my mom to take me out of the IEP program, like the E, um, like the the SPED pro, like all mm-hmm. those programs that isolated me throughout elementary and middle school. That's a big move. That's what kind of caused it. Um, I don't know how she did it, but she did it. And come high school, I was out of the program. I started ninth grade with nobody except like the people who went to elementary and middle school with. Like nobody really knew me or like knew my like that I had a learning disability and all that stuff I was just Pamela I was not the stupid girl I was not the one that was being pulled out of classes I was not the one who didn't know how to spell two or star I was just a regular human being and there was absolutely nothing setting me aside from the rest of my peers I wasn't um so basically being pulled out of the IEP program it made me a normal student where I didn't have to have that teaching assistant. I didn't have to go to a separate room for and the time for standardized testing that gives you extra time instead of like the allotted time. And I didn't have to have that IEP meeting with my mom and the counselor on a monthly, I don't know how, how often those meetings happen, but I didn't have to have that anymore. I didn't have to have anybody coming and check up on me. I didn't have to take special classes. I was just a normal student, and I loved it. Okay, I was about to ask, how did it go? Because you you didn't have the IEP. You were taking classes without extended time. 
or any of the support services you might have had in K through eight, but you loved your high school experience. What was so? Uh, what else worked well? What helped you be successful as a student in high school without that IEP? Myself. Tell me more. Um. Okay, so the best way to explain it is at the beginning of eighth grade, I was at a very, very low reading level at mm-hmm. elementary school reading level. Mm-hmm. So at eighth grade, I think I was either between, let's just call it a middle and say I was in a fourth grade reading level. And obviously in eighth grade, you should be at an eighth grade reading level or a little above. <laughs> but um, come eighth grade, that's kind of when I started to realize, okay, this is my last year in this school. This is my last year with these people. This is it. Like, I no longer have to put up with any of this BS. There you go. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, well, I just started figuring out the way that I learned and what helps me best. Because I did also start to realize at 8th grade, at a 4th grade reading level, the people in place to help me are clearly failing at their job. Because there's no way you're um, a special education teacher, you specialize in all this, and yet you have a student who has an advance in their reading. Like, you're doing something very wrong, my friend. So I took to my mom's library, and my mom has an arsenal of books. We've all seen it. Yes, we have. Um, And I picked up... At the time, I think she bought this book specifically for me because it was the book in her library that kind of popped my attention. But it was Twilight. Oh, It was a Twilight book. I picked up those books, and they're pretty hefty books. And I just started reading through it. I was struggling reading through it, but I started reading. I would lock myself in my room and just read. I finished the second book, I think, an entire day. I spent a Saturday locked up in my room. And I just kept reading and reading and reading and reading Mm. until by the end of eighth grade, I was at a ninth grade reading level. That's impressive. Reading the book in one day, but... Yeah. Jumping up your reading level from fourth grade reading level to ninth to grade ninth. reading level. I, it was either at an eighth or a ninth. If anybody can fact check me, I don't know. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did bring it up from the beginning of eighth grade to the end of eighth grade with no help from the people in place at that school. Mm-hmm. So um, I took that into high school. I, I learned my learning style and what helped me. So... And, this, and, like, in high school, too, like, I wasn't just taking, like, normal classes. I was also taking AP classes. And I was doing pretty well at them. Very different from K through 8. Very different. Because K through 8 had me thinking I'm not capable of much. I had a lot, a lot of people imply that I wouldn't, that I, I would be lucky if I made it to high school. I just want to um, point out that you didn't just finish high school. You already have your bachelor's degree and are almost done almost with your master's degree. Three more classes. Three more classes. And one of them is my thesis. So. And there you go. And, and so interesting to think back at what people implied and what you were able to do. Because I was never growing up, and obviously from people outside of my family, I was never really motivated or told that I could do a lot in life. It was just, you're lucky if you make it to high school. Not very positive Not messaging. very positive at all. Um, but come high school, I mean, probably, well, I mean, I'm not saying I was the best student in high school. I was a mediocre student at most. But I was doing my best, and my best passed. It was B's. I was never a straight-A student, not until I got to um, college. And some semesters were like A-B's. But high school, I was like a, a C-B student. Enough to get me by and enough to make me feel 
good enough. And then I started realizing, like, towards senior year, all right, I need to be like, more of an A, B student. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, high school was just different because I was able to be my own person and I didn't have everybody already make up their minds about me. These are some good lessons because um, we want to provide support services through IEP programs, you know, in higher ed. We have other kinds of programs that we use to help our students to be able to provide support services. And we're thinking about how those services could help students, but we don't always think about how um, some of our actions or ways of delivering or things we do could impact students. Um, Again, talking about the three programs you had in K through eight that singled you out. And what that does in terms of how your peers see you, but also, you know, some some other people who actually work for the school will see you differently or imply certain things as well. And um, and it's definitely not what we ever want to do when working with students, any students. We always want to look at strengths and how do we help students move forward. So definitely you taught us a few lessons already. You um, also were mentioning that you figure out your learning style and you figure out some tools that helped you be a good student. So what are some uh, one, two, or three tools, tricks, tips, things that worked for you, strategies that helped you as a student that you maybe carried into um, college and graduate school? So my way of learning is a lot different than most people, and it's very redundant, but I need that redundancy to get, like, to, to, like, just plant it in my brain and like have it stick um so flashcards are one things that i love yeah (laughs) we're looking at the table because i have a bunch of them now (laughs) um flashcards are my favorite you keep them short and simple you have the word or the or the topic or whatever you want to define and you just have a very basic definition and if it's a list of something, you don't want to have the list out on the flashcard. So if you're naming out like the different types of like book genres, mm-hmm. for example, I just looked at your bookshelf. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're like listing out the different types of book genres, you don't have you don't want to have a flashcard with the word book genres on it, and then listing out five different ones. You want to have five different flashcards with each book genre. Got it. And another way that I I take a lot of notes, and my note-taking is pretty much just plagiarism. Just take what you see in the book and write it down. I pretty much have to write the entire, really, I'll write down an entire paragraph that I see in the book. I'll read it. I'll write it. I'll read it again. And that act of reading and writing and reading and writing helps it stick. Mm -hmm. And again, it extends your studying. Like, you're going to be studying forever, but it's... It helped. It worked. It works. You proved it. And so you talked about chunking out information. So chunk it out. Don't um, put it all together. That's one tip. And another one, which I've used myself because I have a lot of focusing issues, is the actual copying of the information. Because the act of writing, of moving, helps me focus and retain information. Then I read it aloud and then I do that again. Um, so those are two tips that I think most of us could uh, benefit from. But definitely, is there any other, are there any other tips or strategies that you might want to share before we talk a little bit about college and uh, your transition there? None that I can think of off the top of my head because that's really what I do most for my um, for for studying. It's flashcards mm-hmm. and my notes, and my my notes are color coded, which kind of seems a little oh. bit intense, but 
it helps. It helps visually, I think. It, it helps. helps with the chunking out and yeah. separating. Okay, so those are three great tips. So you had some tips you learned in high school. You took those tips with you to college. And uh, I really want to spend a little bit of time talking about your college experience because I think that there are some lessons learned there. Because when you transition from high school to college, since you didn't have an IEP, you didn't, uh, I don't know how to say it, you didn't take an IEP with you or documentation. So, uh, which worked for you in high school. Did that work for you in college? No, it did not work for me in college. Um... I, that, that was probably my only regret is of not having the IEP in high school is come college applications and time to get into college and all that stuff. Cause mm-hmm. that would have given me, um, scholarship, more scholarship opportunities. It would have let me go into, um, higher ed with like all my professors and everybody knowing like, okay, I, I can do the work. You just got to give me, got to work with me. Just bear with me. I'll get it done just at a different rate. Like, I'm still going to turn it in on time and all that stuff. But there was just, that didn't help me out. I don't know if this is making sense. It is, Hold actually. Your, your eyes confused me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to see whether or not it's a good time to take a sip of my coffee, I think. <laughs> but but it is making sense. So you didn't take the extra time with you also for yeah. tests? didn't take the extra time. You lose everything because when you lose IEP, you lose all the benefits. And in, in high school, I was so thankful that I didn't have any of those benefits because I was like, yes, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to say stupid, but it's how they made me feel. Like, I was just, yes, I'm not stupid. I'm... I'm normal. I'm a normal student. Like, this is fine. Um, definitely want, like, wanted it in college. Mm. And my first two years of college, I went to Miami-Dade. Actually, I lied. I went to St. Leo University for one... That's right. I forgot about St. Leo. I went for there for one, one semester. semester <laughs> the most expensive semester of my entire academic career. And then you decided to go to Miami-Dade College. Then I decided to go to Miami-Dade College. I got my AA from there. And I got my, I actually got accepted to UMass Lowell before I had fully completed my associate's degree in, um, at Miami-Dade. And I was taking a, a stats class. I think it was stats. I think it was possibly stats. If I failed that class, I was not going to UML. That's a lot of pressure. It was, because I had to take that class. I, I, math is honestly something I've never been good at. I don't want to be, I mean, I don't care for it, <laughs> but I've always struggled with math, but, um, what I had to do, cause I've prepped my, my learning style and everything for reading, not for math. Oh. Um, but Miami-Dade has, what, what, what's it called? The, um, like the tutoring? Mm-hmm. The math centers. The math the center, centers, yeah. yeah. So I remember there was this one class. Oh my God. And this one class killed me because it was full of high school students. It's like, this is my worst nightmare. I'm taking a a class that I'm struggling in and all these high school students are passing. And I definitely feel like an idiot now. So you're a college class full of high school students. students. And they're all passing with A's and flying colors. And I got my first grade for my first exam back and it was a D. And that meant that to pass with a B, I had to get an A. Because it was only a three-exam class. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I had to get an A in the next two exam. And I think that would make me pass the class with, like, a C or a B. 
And he had like little assignments here and there that kind of meant nothing but impacted your grade just a smidge. Um, so what I would do those days that the tests were, because something that I can do too, I can retain a lot of information and I have really good memory for a short period of time. If that makes sense. Like if I'm studying uh, it like right away. It's like your, like your CPU, you have to dump that. Once you have yeah. it there, you dump some of that information to make room for more exactly. information. <laughs> <laughs> so those days I, I spent the entire, because this was a, a night class. I think it started at like 6 p.m. or 5 or 6 p.m. Not that night. Yeah. Because I was working a regular 9 to 5 job oh, during the day. that's right. Okay. But for these two exams, I took the days off of work and I spent from 9 a.m. till the time that I had to go into class at the math lab and I had them break down everything for me and I was asking that I, I don't remember I, it was a guy I just don't remember his name don't remember anything but I was just like and I went in there and I was like look I'm going to harass you I'm going to ask you 101 questions and they, I, they might be the same question just worded differently but I'm <laughs> gonna need you to answer them and just work with me <laughs> and both for both those exams I did that and I passed the exams with an A Nice. I can't tell you anything that was on the exam. If you show me a stats question or any math problem, I will not get it right. But 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 you but mission accomplished. Mission accomplished for that one. Yeah. And I like how you were very straightforward. And um, some good advice you're already giving listeners is don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to use the resources, especially in in college and in grad school. We have tutoring centers, math centers. We have all kinds of support that you shouldn't be afraid to use. Yeah. Definitely don't be afraid to use them. I was afraid to use them a lot, and I still am, even till this day, in grad school. But sometimes when I have a backbone, I go in there like I did in the math lab, and I'm like, help me. And this is the way I need to be helped. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, don't just help me your way. This is this what I need. This is what I need. <laughs> in terms of, um, in general life and um you've done such an amazing job of maneuvering the k through a system and i know you had a lot of negative experiences there but you were able to transition beautifully into high school and really become an independent learner in many ways knowing when to reach out for help you did really well in college you got your you know you did your one semester at st leo then you got your associates at miami Dade college in florida and then your um your bachelor's degree you got it at umass low in massachusetts and now um, you're getting your graduate degree. Where? Also at UMass Lowell. Yes, also at UMass Lowell. And, um, and so in, in, in this journey that you've been on, who have been your role models? Where did you find role models or support people? Who are the people who you can turn to and say, these are the people who are my role models or my support people in life? Those are two questions. I just rolled two, them into yeah. one. <laughs> you can separate those. <laughs> so... Role model, I can't say, well, I can't say I haven't had a role. I, I haven't had a real role model. I've had fictional, I've had a fictional role model. I want to hear about the yeah. fictional role model. <laughs> so I started watching um, Grey's Anatomy with my mom when I was younger. Like when it was like in the early seasons, like season one, two, before George O'Malley died. That's really when I stopped watching with my mom. But um, as, the sh like, as we were watching the show, Christina Yang. She is the top of her class. And, like, they mention it so briefly in the show. I think it was, like, in the beginning episodes. They brush right over it. And she's dyslexic. And she has an MD, a PhD, and um, a master's in biology or something. I don't know. She has, like, so 101 degrees, top of her class, kicking everybody's ass. And she's dyslexic. 
And I saw that. I was like, well, you know what? If, even though she's not real, I'm sure there's other doctors out there that have a bit of dyslexia or like have some form of learning disability that succeeded and they did just fine. So I'm going to look at this person and use that as the model and ignore everything else that everybody has been telling me pretty much that I can't amount to anything where I saw somebody amount to quite the amazing character. But again, it's just fictional, but it still helped. But yeah, I was going to say, I know it's a fictional role model, but it's still someone that you could say, look at this person. I had no idea, by the way. I don't remember um, hearing that Christina Yang um, had dyslexia in the show when she was, you know, when, yeah. when she was in the episode. So I learned that through you. And um, that's an interesting role model that I think. Um, they really brushed right over it. And I kind of wish like just because of how much it helped mm-hmm. me, I kind of wish they would have mentioned it a lot more because if other people would have picked up on it and not just people like me with learning disabilities but people who put people like me down if they were to have picked up on that and they would have realized okay maybe it's not impossible there's an education component you're mentioning now um we need to be educated about dyslexia and uh and 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 bullying and not thinking of of someone who has a learning disability or learning preference as other or not able to succeed and sometimes we just might say certain things or do certain things that we don't realize make someone feel like other or inferior or um, not have the ability to be as successful and i think you're teaching us also about being mindful of um, some of that language, some of that behavior, and uh, in those uh, in the classroom too, as teachers and as college administrators, and you know, yeah. just learning how we can be more mindful of those things so we could be more supportive. The teachers, the professors who are saying them, the kids who are saying them, they don't realize the kind of power that their words hold. Yeah, only the person who's suffering through them. And sometimes we don't. Um, we don't know the power and we don't realize how yeah. we're making someone else suffer with our That's words. the thing too. Like it's not like everybody's just, it's like the whole teacher thing. Not everybody has like the malicious intention of like setting you apart and making you feel like you're less than mm-hmm. them and everybody else. They just don't realize the impact. So uh, uh, again, I've learned so much from you over the years and through our conversations these last couple of years around this topic. And I thought this was a great opportunity to also give advice. Uh, If you have any advice for students, for parents, for teachers, for college folks, you know, admin or or anyone, any advice that you want to share or tips? For teachers, something that I would have preferred to happen in elementary school when like papers were being passed out and stuff, because before the first day of school, this teacher knows I'm coming into her class and she knows my, like, she knows that I'm going to be different, that I require extra things. You're fully aware of that before school starts. And I know this because my sister is a teacher. You know it's coming. So the best approach is probably don't announce it to the class that I have to be excluded from all the assignments. Include me. And just tell me, like, the first day of class, pull me aside. Let's have a conversation. And I get, okay, you really don't want to have, like, that have a conversation with a second grader. It's really simple. Just explain to them, look, I get that you have different requirements, all this stuff, da 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 da, and I don't want to make you feel different. So what's going to happen is you're going to get all the assignments. You're going to do your best. 
but I'm not going to grade them. Like I'm not, not because my like, okay, how do I say this? Because my assignments, like when I didn't get her assignments, it's because she wasn't grading them because they weren't mine. But give me the assignment. Let me do the assignment the best I can. Let me be part of the classroom. And then when you get my assignment, just either toss it or help me. Yeah. Grade give it. Me feedback. Give me feedback. See where I can improve because you don't have to stop teaching me because there's an assistant there. You're still technically my teacher. This lady wasn't with me every day. It's your job to educate me and to make sure that I'm receiving the education that I need and require. So maybe do that next time. That's good advice. Very good. Even, even not just for elementary, for all school levels. Because yeah. even as a, in the a college classroom, I sometimes have students who need extended time or other support services. And so how can I um, support them without singling them out in any way in front of the other students? Any other advice for anyone? Um, if you are somebody with dyslexia or any form of a learning disability, you kind of have to learn to be your own advocate. Learn your learning style. Be okay with it. Know that there's absolutely nothing, not a single thing wrong with you. Not in the slightest. You're just as intelligent or even more intelligent than your peers. Because dyslexia doesn't make you less intelligent. It just alters the way that you learn. So you're fine. You're not stupid. You're probably brilliant. Most likely brilliant. And don't let anybody make you feel anything less than that. That's great advice. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that advice with our listeners. Um, I think we, we need to hear those positive messages more often as we've learned, yeah. as you've learned. Definitely. Through your experiences. <laughs> if I would have gotten positive messages more, I probably would have had the IEP throughout high school, throughout college and all that fun stuff. And it does impact your mental health. And I would like to say that my mental health may have been maybe a little bit better if I would have gotten that positive reinforcement. And I really was only getting positive reinforcement from my family, which is great, but it can only do so much because I'm with my family at the end of the day and I'm dealing with the rest of the world for the 90% of the day. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the world, unfortunately, to me at the time, had a bigger, like their words had a bigger impact than the positive I was getting from my family. Yeah, I think that's true for most of us. And that's why we have to be careful with the messaging and what we do. Definitely. Well, do you have any final thoughts or words or anything else that you want to share as we come to the end of our interview? I'm not sure. I feel like we... We've covered so much. We have. I feel like we've covered so much, but we've also like left so much out, but I don't, can't pin what that <laughs> is. We can always schedule another interview, <laughs> part two. But, um, but definitely, um, as you're thinking, we definitely covered your experiences um, in K through eight, high school, college, you're doing an amazing job um, wrapping up grad school now. Um, actually, a question for me is what's next after grad school? You get, you get your master's degree, yay. Get my master's degree or, and then more school. More school. More school. So hopefully, hopefully law school after this. Okay. Very exciting. So I will be three degrees in by the time I become a professional working woman. Oh, screw Christina. Yeah. Exactly. We got Pamela Martinez. 
Exactly. <laughs> we're gonna put Christina and take a backseat. Yep. We got Pamela Martinez, and she's a real human, exactly. not a character. Exactly. Both from fiction to nonfiction, real fast. There you go. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Uh, definitely, like I said, many wonderful lessons that I think a lot of our listeners will definitely um, pick up on. Uh, they'll enjoy listening to this. And I'm sure that there's a lot that they can learn because I've learned a lot through our conversations. And um, and just thank you for being with me today for coffee and an interview to talk about dyslexia and your experiences as a student in the school system all the way through grad school. Thank you for